Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Today on the program, we're going to talk about the holidays and our emotions. And if you're feeling blue at Christmas, what might be going on? We'll also look at research that helps us understand the holiday blahs and figure out how to take charge of our emotions during this season. And at the end of the program, I'm going to share the first Christmas song I've ever written. And it's all about handling lonely Christmases because I had plenty of those. As you know, over my 27 years of dating, from 15 until I got married at 42. So I know about A Lonely Christmas, and the song also, in the end, celebrates love at Christmas because ultimately, that's what it's all about, after all. So back to emotions at Christmas. So first of all, what I want to stress is that it's completely normal to feel a wide range of emotions during this season. We have these huge expectations at Christmas and huge expectations around the holidays in general and how we're supposed to feel. And we want to be happy and ecstatic and feel complete and utter joy at all times. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is a wonderful time of the year for sure. But Christmas is also what I like to call a loaded season. It is loaded with memories. It's loaded with nostalgia. It's loaded with emotion. And it's loaded with stress. So it would actually be pretty unrealistic to think that we could move through the entire holiday season without a bout of the blues here and there. But not to despair, we can definitely minimize our downtimes and maximize our enjoyment of the season if we keep in mind the following. Number one. Be mindful of your social media consumption. We've talked about this a little bit on Love and Life, but it bears repeating because social media is such a ubiquitous part of our everyday life. It is so pervasive. And it's this great tool, but it's also something that can really impact us. And the research just keeps coming out. And in fact, there's an entire body of of research in psychology now called Facebook depression, but we're not just going to blame Facebook, obviously Instagram and Snap and Twitter and the like. And here's the thing. I have been stepping up my Insta game recently, and I've connected with so many people. It has been fantastic. It's been this great way to engage with people aside from my book and aside from the podcast. And so I love it. But then again, I also know the research and I also know what the research teaches us and informs us about social media consumption. So I'm aware of how to handle it. If we're not aware of how to handle it, then we're very vulnerable to its effects because Facebook depression is a thing and it is a problem. And in fact, several studies have found a correlation between the amount of time we spend on social media and the tendency to be depressed. Simple as that. So the more time we spend on social media, the more likely we are to be depressed. Now, what's interesting about this is that there's an entire other body of research 
on social support. And even though we call social media social, it does not affect us and we don't interact with it in the same way as other social support in our lives. So the research on social support finds that our interactions with friends and family members and those who care about us and who we care about, it actually provides a buffer against many of life's problems. But here we're talking about face-to-face interactions. So when I talk about the literature on the benefits of social support, I mean, we're going old school here, meeting up for lunch, grabbing a drink after work, or going hiking together on the weekends. There's a very important distinction to make when I'm talking about our social worlds, when I'm talking about social support and the literature that shows the benefits of it versus social media and what the literature shows about how we are interacting and how we're affected by social media. And the research on social support is clear. Those of us with strong friendship groups who we see face-to-face on a regular basis, we're healthier emotionally, psychologically, and even physically. Isn't it interesting that social media does not work this way? We don't see the same sorts of benefits when we're engaging on social media as when we're engaging with face-to-face interaction with friends. So that right there is something to think about. So recently, psychologist May Lee Steers from the University of Houston has identified what it is about Facebook consumption that's related to depression. And what it is, is that when we're on Facebook and other social media, we're comparing ourselves. And the comparison game that we step into is not helpful. Steers' article is called Seeing Everyone Else's Highlight Reels, How Facebook Usage is Linked to Depressive Symptoms. And it was published in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. And it reminds me of one of my all-time favorite quotes, which is by Theodore Roosevelt. He once said, comparison is the thief of joy. And I actually have a t-shirt with this quote on it. A couple years ago, I was at an Over the Rhine concert, one of my favorite bands, and they had that quote on their t-shirts. And I loved it. I was so struck by it because I thought, yeah, I could have this amazing life and I'd be so thankful and and full of joy for everything that's going on in my life. And then I look over across the way and the grass seems greener in somebody else's lawn. And all of a sudden, now I'm not feeling so great. So it steals our joy. Now we know for a fact because the research is supporting what Theodore Roosevelt said years ago. According to Steers, so this is the researcher from the University of Houston, quote, although other studies have established links between depressive symptoms and Facebook, our study is the first of its kind to determine that the underlying mechanism between this association is social comparison. In other words, heavy Facebook users might be comparing themselves to their friends, which in turn can make them feel more depressed. And I love that Steers uses the term the highlight reel. This month's Psychology Today came out and it was very much related to all this stuff about this comparison trap. And they had this great image in it. So some of you who maybe have seen it, there's this spread of uh, of a photo and there's a woman and she's beautiful and her baby's the Gerber baby and it just looks picture perfect. And so that's in the frame. But then outside the frame of the photo, there is utter chaos. There's dirty dishes and dirty diapers and the house is a wreck. But she didn't post the house being a wreck 
on Facebook. She posted the picture-perfect photo of her and her Gerber baby. And so Steers is really, she's really underscoring what's going on is that we're seeing the highlight reel. And the highlight reel isn't real. Hi, this is Kate from Chicago. The dating scene can be tough, and when I need a little encouragement, I turn on Dr. Karen's Love and Life to get a reminder that staying true to myself is the most important thing. Now, interestingly, previous research on face-to-face comparison, so that would be if I compare myself in what's called upward comparison, comparing myself to someone who I believe to be better than me in whatever, has a better voice or has a better podcast or has a better dress at the party, then I'm going to feel worse about myself. But downward comparison, so then when I look across the party and I see someone who has a dress on that I don't think is quite as cute as mine, that that kind of comparison will actually make me feel better about myself. But what's interesting is that according to this recent research by Steers, Social media comparison doesn't work that way, such that it doesn't matter which way we're comparing, in an upward direction or a downward direction, we're going to feel worse about ourselves. So right there, that's pretty important stuff to remember as we're making our way through the holiday season and seeing everyone's perfect Christmas party posts and perfect tree posts and perfect house decoration posts and perfect DIY cookie posts and so forth. And now, I'd like to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible. The Steel Forest Furniture Company, makers of handcrafted custom steel and wood furniture. Amazing tables, wine racks, fire pits, and signs. Incredible craftsmanship made right here in the U.S. in Columbus, Mississippi. Check out their website at steelforestfurniture.com or follow them on Facebook at The Steel Forest Furniture Company. Now, playing comparison games is something I've been very concerned with for a long time, which is why I devoted an entire chapter of my book to this topic. My book is Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. Most of you know that. And the chapter in the book about the comparison trap is called Don't Compare Yourself to Your Married Friends keeping up with the Jones. And in this case, I spell Joan, J-O-A-N, as opposed to keeping up with the Jones, which is usually the last name Jones and refers to people on a block and comparing themselves to their neighbor and the neighbor gets a Cadillac, so they have to get a Cadillac and so forth. But in this case, I'm talking about Joan, the girl's name, because we do, we compare ourselves to Joan and to Tammy and to Susan etc, etc, etc. Now, obviously, in this case, I'm talking to the single ladies and to singles in general, but the themes of comparison, as we've already discussed, generalize to all of us, because singles may compare themselves to married people, and married people without kids who are trying to have kids compare themselves to married people with kids, and married people with one kid compare themselves to married people with seven kids. And what is the point anyway? We already know what we sensed at some level. When we compare ourselves to others, it doesn't help us. It makes us feel worse about ourselves. So why do it? Why do it? And whenever we're looking at someone else and thinking about all that they have that we don't have, it's taking us away from another factor that is related to happiness. And that is gratitude. 
As long as I keep looking at my neighbor or looking at that dress that the woman is wearing across the room at the party and thinking she has something I don't, I am stepping away from gratitude, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in just a minute. But just to wrap up the comparison game topic, you know, what's the solution here? Do we all have to deactivate our Facebook profiles and and step away from social media forever? Well, I don't think that that's the solution. Some of you guys are listening to the podcast today because we've connected on Insta and on Facebook and on Twitter. So I don't think that we have to just chuck it entirely, but we're smart. We're savvy. So what do we do? Be mindful. Be mindful. And when you catch yourself looking at someone's post and going, ah, she has, or ah, he has, just remember, it's a highlight reel. I'm Audrey Mad Cronin, creator of mobile app Like So, your personal speech coach. My mission is to empower all of us to express ourselves articulately and with confidence, which is exactly why I'm a fan of Love and Life and Dr. Karen's philosophy of taking charge. The second way to maximize joy this season and battle the blues is to take charge of your thoughts. And yeah, no one's surprised that I went there, right? So no matter what emotions are trying to steal your joy to the world this Christmas, take charge of your thoughts in the following ways. And let's start with what I talked about just a little bit earlier, gratitude. Gratitude is something that I was posting a ton about on Insta during Thanksgiving, obviously, but gratitude is a year-round practice that can make a huge difference. And like I said, the more grateful we are, the happier we are. Even small things like a gratitude journal. There was a study that I came across where people were asked to either write in a journal about things that disappointed them during the week or write about just basic, here's what I did all day, every day during the week, or write all the things they were thankful for. The people who wrote about all that they were thankful for were happier and the boost in their happiness lasted for weeks. Not only were they more optimistic and felt better about their lives, they also exercise more. What this research shows us is that not only will focusing on gratitude help us feel better, help us combat the holiday blahs, but it also will give us a jump start on our New Year's resolution to go to the gym more because we're going to be more likely to exercise. So it's not just that something that we do for a little bit and then it works and we feel good and then it, it deteriorates. No, our happiness level stays higher. So that's a huge, huge reason in the midst of the Christmas blues to think, wait a minute, do I have to be sad right now? No, let me just count my blessings. And it sounds so corny and cheesy, but it works. And it helps us remain grounded in what the season is about anyway. Another practice that has been shown to be effective is to write a thank you note to someone who you've always meant to thank and never have. Think about someone, maybe it's a teacher from high school, maybe it's someone who was a mentor to you at your first job, and just write them a note. People are always sending greetings, right? Christmas cards are something that people do throughout the the holiday season. So maybe just write them a note, because this has also been shown to provide a boost in your happiness. So this is another very tangible way that we can combat the Christmas blahs or the holiday blues and get ourselves back into the spirit. So the takeaway message here is really clear. To combat the holiday blahs, go to gratitude. Make gratitude a daily practice. 
even minute to minute. Whenever you get the chance, just take a second and be thankful for something in your life. And if you want a big boost in happiness, take the time to hand deliver a thank you note to a former teacher, coach, mentor, or family member. You'll feel happier and this boost in your happiness will last. Okay, so as promised, I'm gonna sing my Christmas song and you guys are the first to hear it, except for Dan, he's heard it because it's about him. The end part is about him actually. The beginning part is about the lonely Christmases and then the end is Dan, of course. Yeah, I've only played it for him and this is gonna be kind of an unplugged version, although technically Dan plugged in my keyboard into the board down here in my studio. But there are no bells and whistles, no drums, no bass, no rhythm section, no guitar solos. So you'll have to forgive me that I don't have all the embellishments to support the song. But it's just going to be live here in studio, just you and me. And I hope you enjoy it. glad you liked it and thanks to michelle my producer for giving me some applause (laughs) maybe that was her christmas present to me thanks michelle so the love and life hack for this week is if you're feeling blue this christmas step away from social media and step up your gratitude game merry christmas happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa or whatever you're celebrating at this time of year Take charge of the season by taking charge of your thoughts. My Love and Life team, thank you for listening this year. My producer, Michelle Musso, my communications manager, Chip Gregory, and my booking assistant, Christine Infanger. We wish you a wonderful holiday season. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you next year. 
We appreciate your engagement, listening and subscribing on iTunes and SoundCloud, Spreaker and Stitcher. And a bit of news, we're now available on iHeartRadio at Dr. Karen Love and Life. I wish you the best in love and life this Christmas and always. Talk to you next year. And until then, make it a great holiday season.